you will be overwhelmed. If you haven't been recently, uh, good news, uh, you will be. There will be moments in your life where it feels like you can't go on. There will be moments when it seems to be pressing against you in such a downward way that, as Paul said in Corinthians, it felt like the death sentence was upon him. There will be times that you will have more than you can handle. Let's begin there again. There are times when you will have more than you can handle. God does allow us to have things that are more than we can handle. So if you believe the lie that God doesn't give us more than we can handle, it's a lie. There will be times when you will have things that are so pressed against you that you are overwhelmed by them. Paul said even felt like a death sentence was upon him. However, in those times, we have a choice to make with our response to it. Will we allow this thing, this circumstance, this relationship, this debt, whatever it is, will we allow this thing to turn into fear, fear into worry, worry into anxiety, which are all sin? We have a choice to make in the midst of those overwhelming things to allow God to carry them for us or for us to carry them on our own. We have a choice in those difficult times to do something about them so that we don't sin in the midst of it. We grow the most when we've been hurt the most. You grow the most through pain. It's a reality. Think back to the moments in your life when it was most difficult because it's in those times that we can turn to God who is the deliverer, who's the helper, who's the healer, who's the comforter and allow him to work through us and it closes the proximity of space between us and God. Pain can draw us to God or away from God. And when we allow it to draw us away from God, we try to fix it on our own and we end up in worry and fear and sin. Scripture is loaded from Genesis Revelations. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Do not be afraid. And so there will be times when we will, but we need to turn to God in those times. Or we will find ourselves just riddled with anxiety. So what happens to you when the rug is pulled out from underneath of you? What's your first gut level response? Fix it yourself and then in turn turn inwards and then worry about it. There are things that cause anxiousness if we allow them to. An uncertain job situation. You might be a person in this room in the Lincoln across the world right now that the future is uncertain. You have applications in. You just got removed from your job. And this thing consumes you. This thought of this uncertain job keeps you awake at night. And if you're not careful, that thing can turn into anxiety. That emotion can come out of you that's called worry. And if you do, you're in sin. Anxiousness can loom from debt piling up upon you. And you begin asking questions like this. Well, what happens if? What happens if I don't have enough by the sixth week, the sixth, eighth week? What happens in three months and six months? Does that mean I'll lose this? Does that mean they're going to come? And you begin running down all these paths of worry and anxiousness. Graduation looming for college grads. It's like, what will I do next? 
I'm not certain where I'm going. And so if you allow that looming graduation to become a thing that presses against you and then it turns into fear, you can turn it into worry and anxiousness and you begin to get sick physically, emotionally. Anxiousness can come from a sickness or diagnosis from a doctor. And then he says something like this. We found something on you. We want you to come back in six weeks for a follow-up test. You have a choice to make in those six weeks. Will I worry about it? Will I allow this fear to envelop me to turn into anxiousness? Or will I turn it over to God? Anxiousness comes from an upcoming meeting with someone over a relationship issue. I have to meet with someone this week, Wednesday. I have to meet Thursday. I have to meet Friday. I have to talk to my wife and go over this situation. I have to meet with my wayward son. I have to meet with my cousin. And so these issues, concerns that press you, if you're not careful, can be turned into worry and fear that turns into anxiety, which is sin. Deadlines have a way of causing anxiousness if we're not careful. I need to get this done at work, but I got all these things to do, and you keep adding to it. Anxiousness says, I'm afraid what's going to happen because I might not get it done. It takes our eyes off of God and places it on the situation. So let me ask you a personal question. Have you ever had anxiety? Do you feel anxious today? Let's all repent and say, Jesus, forgive me of it. The reality is, it is sin. And so today, I want to walk you through Scripture. And I'm going to give you a prescription of how to overcome, how to battle those moments when the carpet or the rug is pulled out from underneath of you. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults. Anxiety disorders are also highly treatable, yet only about one-third of those suffering receive treatment. Anxiety disorders cost the United States more than $42 billion a year. Almost one-third of the country's $148 billion total mental health bill. People with anxiety disorder are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor and six times more likely to be hospitalized for a variety of disorders. Anxiety disorders develop from a complex set of risk ventures, including genetics, brain chemistry, personality, and life events. So anxiety is a real issue in our lives, anxiousness. But how do we overcome it? By the way, that sounds like something you want, doesn't it? I'm just going to have it. Everyone's having it. Just give me a whole dose of it. Turn in your Bibles, and we're going to open up with a foundational truth regarding anxiety. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Take it home with you. But turn to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Grab your mobile device, click on, or follow along in your hard copy version of the Bible. Philippians chapter 4, verses, we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. When you find that, stand and we'll read it together. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 
Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Great way to remember those books. God's Electric Power Company, G-E-P-C. Turn to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 through 7. Let's read this out loud. Ready? Read. Do not be anxious about anything. Just pause. What are we supposed to be anxious about? Nothing. Nothing. All right. Go home. That's today's message. (laughs) If you get that down, that's it. You got it. Like, all right, what should I learn today? I learned that I'm not supposed to be anxious about anything. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go home. So I feel like Bob knew her in that special. Just stop it. There, there it is. Just, just stop it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you say I don't have a clue. But anyhow, move on. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Let's read that again. Ready? Read. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me have a seat. That is powerful information. If every human being alive that has ever walked or will walk on planet Earth could practice this, you would see unusual healing in our world. It says to not... Be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God basically falls upon you beyond understanding. And he'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How is it possible in a fallen, sinful world to live that out? Is it possible to not worry? What do I do with fear that wants to envelop me? Every day, you be anxious and nothing, the text says, so that God can guard your mind. He says, in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, thanksgiving and praise crushes anxiety. So with thanksgiving and praise, then God will guard our hearts and minds because all anxiousness begins in our minds. A thought comes. An uncertainty develops. It starts to churn in our minds. And what we do with those thoughts will directly affect what happens to our bodies and how we live our lives out. Jesus had this conversation with those followers. Turn to Luke chapter 12. He gave them basically another prescription. Same stuff in Luke chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Jesus gave a prescription to worry, to anxiousness, to anxiety. And he said this, follow along with me and respond as I ask you, as you follow along in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not what? About your what? Or what you will? Or about your what? Or what you will wear. He says, for life is more than what? And the body more than? Consider the what? They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing. Why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers or lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, 
Not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little what? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not what? About it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your what? And give to the what? Provide for yourselves that will, that will not... Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your what will be also. Jesus is having a conversation with his followers. Let me begin by saying this truth. Fear manifests itself with anxiety. Fear begins in the mind And it leads to anxiety in the body. Jesus gives great instruction here. He tells him, do not worry. Because I'll take care of you. And then he gives these illustrations that we will look at. Yet, if we don't guard our minds, allow Jesus to guard our hearts and our minds, then fear leads to anxiety. How many of you have ever thought, boy, if I could just get over this anxiousness, if I just was able to, to, to deal with this worry, if I could just stop responding in a way that causes me to fret. Jesus is saying, don't let that thing cause anxiousness. Now, if you look at this glass of water, it's still, it's clear, and it's tranquil. If you've ever sat beside a brook or a rolling stream or a creek, when it wasn't windy, when it was quiet and no one's around, there's something about water that's just soothing to your soul, to your mind and your heart. At least it is for me. And Jesus says that our minds have the ability to be clear, not filled with ripples or waves or, or disaster or or. or tsunamis coming out of you. It's possible that our minds can be living in the midst of turmoil all around us, overwhelmed even to the point of death. There is a way that he can guard our minds and our hearts so that we're not in a panic disorder. Most, however, don't respond that way. We normally allow the thing, upcoming calendar event, relationship, Looming debt, marriage, the doctor's report, graduation coming. And if we're not careful, that thing, if it isn't checked, if it isn't handed over to God, if we allow us to hold on to it, it causes this stirring in our hearts and our minds. It just continues to boil and fester in us. And what happens is if we allow that thing to run through our minds instead of giving it over to God, we look more like that than we do this. Truth in the matter is the majority of people spend most of their lives looking like this. 
I'm unemployed. I don't know what will happen next. We run down all these paths. I don't know how I'm going to be able to, to, to father my kids. Or, or I don't know how I'm going to be able to, to, to get that job. And so what happens if we don't give that thing over, then our lives are in constant turmoil and anxiousness set in, sets in. Jesus said this, and so did Paul, that it is possible for both people to be facing the same issues, yet one can find unusual peace. In fact, peace that transcends all understanding while the other is fretting away and their bodies are being eaten up slowly by this anxiousness and this worry in their lives. That's why Jesus says this in verse 22. Look again. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Let's start right there. Picture for a second here who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to these followers who had just witnessed Jesus calming the sea that was stirring. He spoke to the storm. It stopped. He watched them raise a sick child from the dead. They watched him feed 5,000 people with five number sevens from McDonald's. They had witnessed all kinds of miraculous. In fact, John, at the end of John, it says, Jesus did even more things that if, the, that if we wrote them down, all the books of the world couldn't, couldn't, couldn't have them in them, couldn't contain them. And so they have been walking with Jesus and he'd been telling these stories and, and he had been doing these miracles. And so they watched, he healed this person, healed that person. He, he, he walked into groups and spoke and, and demons fled. And so All these followers knew that this man, God, was different. And he would say, trust me. Yet, even though they were that close to the miraculous, right up beside him, when something overcame them, they still would worry. How is that possible? Well, how's it any different for us? Not only do we have a written record from from Genesis to to Revelation, but it's been around for 2,000 years. The New Testament's been around 2,000 years. And we have a written record, yet when something comes away, well, I wonder if Jesus can take care of that. We have forgotten who our God is. And this group was no different. So he addresses the root issue of anxiety. Your life, your food, your clothes, what you will eat. Now think about how real that is, where most of our stress and our anxiety comes from. Your food, think about this. How many of you are thinking about what you're going to do after this service? Where are you going to go for lunch? Thinking, well, if I get this lunch in, I'll be able to get home by 1 o'clock and get the kickoff of the Colts, the Bears, whoever else is playing. How many of you have already put something in the oven ready just to warm it up when you get home? How many of you are thinking about, I wonder what's for supper tonight? How many of you have dinner appointments this week? You're thinking, I can't wait to that night. Food drives us. Do we have enough food? And Jesus says to this group of people here, don't be concerned about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Food controls us. It consumes our mind. In fact, you take away a dessert from a man for six days, you might as well just pull his fingernails out one by one. It's like, I can't eat a dessert for six days. It's like, holy cow. Our stomachs can become our gods, Jesus is saying. 
When we expect more from food than we can get from God, anxiety sets in. When we expect more from food, Jesus is saying, than we do from God, anxiety sets in. Then he says this, life is more than clothing. Think about how stressed we get about clothes. Think about how stressful it can be to pick out an outfit to wear on a special occasion. Think about how stressed some of you were this morning when you walked into your closet and said, I wonder what I'll wear today. You walked in, you came out, wives came out and said, hey, baby, what do you think? Oh, it looks good. Say, it looks good to them, husbands. It looks good. And so it looks good. And they tried it on. Oh, I don't like the way it looks. And, and then, so you go home now, you got like six blouses that are there. And then you, you dare not wear a blouse that, that you wore last week because someone might have seen you wear that last week. Like, just wear the same shirt. I don't care. We don't care. But think about how stressed we are about clothing. We want the newest fashion, newest clothes. I mean, I even think about how fashions have, have cycled. I remember when I was 18 or 19 when Sperry topsiders were in. If I still had a hold of those things, those things would be worth gold. I mean, I gave them away because they went out of style. Think about how much money we spend on new styles. And by the way, don't fashion experts know that? Because we want the newest things. So clothing is constantly changing. We're constantly looking in the mirror, wanting to look and, and dress in an appropriate way. And there's these things that happen, be stress that can come on us based upon clothing. It wasn't even any different 2,000 years ago. And Jesus says, life is more than clothing. In fact, think about the way stuff has repeated and come back out. By the way, I've often said this. I just pray that I'm not alive when leisure suits come back. Please, Jesus, <laughs> please. Don't bring them back. But you remember how we thought we were cool in those? Man, that looked like, you know, the flowery silk shirts that were open down to here and show like three chest hairs. Like, dude, you're looking good. Jesus says... You laugh. We know the truth. I've cut off all my pictures. <laughs> Jesus says, don't get stressed out about your clothes. Life is more than food, than clothing. And so they're like, well, Jesus, how's that going to help with worry or stress or whether I'm going to graduate and what job I'm going to have and how's that help pay the bills and how am I going to overcome with, with like food? And, and then they're like, Okay, there's got to be more. Now, just picture, they're leaning in just like we are. It's like, okay, I'm about to tell you something that's going to help you overcome worry. I'm going to tell you something that, that you'll no longer have any anxiety. And it's like, all right, lean in, and you're ready to take notes. Picture them leaning in. It's like, listen, he's going to say something good right now. Here's, here's the answer. And then Jesus says this to them. Consider the ravens, not the Baltimore ravens, unless you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and you're in trouble. Consider, <laughs> consider the ravens. It's like, what? Come on, Jesus. I don't think about ravens much, do you? Consider the ravens. Like, how does considering the ravens help my worry? How does that pay my bills? And so Jesus, look, look again, look what he says. Look back in verse 24. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? And so Jesus says, consider the nasty scavenger bird called raven who doesn't do any work, yet gets fed and, and eats off of someone else's work. 
Now, there had to be someone in that group that's like, what up, Jesus? Ravens? Seriously, no one has taken time to watch a raven. I mean, seriously, when's the last time you took time to watch a raven? They're scavenger birds. In other words, they are not farmers with John Deere tractors. They haven't planted a seed in years, yet God feeds them. And then he says, aren't you more important than the raven? And he loves you more than that, and he can feed you. In other words, do you trust him to do the same for you? And I can imagine this crowd saying, oh, I get that. Oh, maybe I don't trust him. You see, when you let your mind get consumed with anxiousness, what you're saying, listen to me, what you're saying is, Jesus, I don't trust you. Jesus, this is too big for you. Jesus, you're not who you said you are in the word of God. When a person worries, when a person has anxiousness dripping from their veins, what they're saying is, I don't trust God. So how often don't you trust God? He loves us more than he does the ravens. By the way, that came full circle to me this week. Let me explain. On uh, one of the nights this week, it was, I, I think it was Thursday night, we live in the country, and, and one of the privileges to live in the country is there, there's, there's alfalfa and cornfields and bean fields around us. And it allows us to do some things that you can't do in the city. And I looked out my kitchen window, and I noticed in the back field, in the alfalfa field, there was a groundhog. Now, if you were raised in the country like I was, it's the best kind of groundhog is a dead groundhog. <laughs> it just is. And if you ask any farmer, he would tell you the same. They tear up the fields. They put holes. And so I looked out my window in the kitchen and thought, dead groundhog. So I went downstairs into my man cave, opened up one of my gun cases, and pulled out a rifle that would allow me to shoot the groundhog. So with a grin on my face, I walked out my back door and began to work my way across our property, across an alfalfa field, crawling some on my elbows to try to get closer to this groundhog. 130 yards from the groundhog, pulled up my scope, pointed in a direction so that it was a safe direction to shoot. Groundhog is now dead groundhog. It was a guts conference right there in the middle of the field. We had one in Pennsylvania last week. I had one in New Paris this week. Why do I tell you that? Well, I crawled across the field. I shot the gun. I bought the gun. I bought the ammo. While I was shooting that groundhog, I wasn't thinking about anything else but dead groundhog. Yesterday afternoon, I'm looking out my kitchen window again. We have a great view from our kitchen window. I look out across the alfalfa field, and you know what was out there? Buzzards, scavenger, raven kind of birds. They were eating what I shot. They were consuming the food that was there. Now, a day before that, or two days before that, they didn't like knock on my door and say, Hey, Jim, I'm hungry. I want you to shoot a groundhog. They didn't like perch in the trees that night and say, Please, God, please, God, please, God, tell Jim to get, get a gun and shoot the groundhog so we can eat. No. I shot the groundhog. 
It cost me to buy the gun. It cost me to get the ammo. I have scrapes on my elbows, and it didn't cost that ravenish bird, that, that vulture, anything. But guess what? God provided for it. And Jesus is saying, just like I've provided for them, and they didn't stress out, but one day they were flying over the brown house on Saturday. Said, ah, supper. <laughs> They don't sit in the trees and stress out every night. I wonder if I'm going to eat. I wonder if I'm going to eat. I wonder if I'm going to eat. They just fly where food might be and God provides. Jesus is saying, I love you more than those buzzards. He's saying, do you trust me enough that you think I can feed you? You see, when we worry, anxiety can surface. And what we're saying is, I don't trust you, God. By the way, that doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean we just sit around on our tush and just say, all right, God said he's going to provide. Just wait for the doorbell to ring. I don't need to work. I don't need to have a savings account. I don't need to do anything. Jesus said he's going to provide. Pastor Jim said he's going to provide. La, la, la. Buzzer's going to fly by. Drop some meat. There it is. No. I didn't say that, by the way. I said, you do whatever you can. You go and try to find a job. You keep knocking on doors. You put, fill out resumes. But listen, there comes a point where you can't do any more but do what you can do. And God says, I'll do the rest. There's action behind it. Let me explain this better. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Just a few books over. Peter was having this conversation with followers that said they were following Jesus. It's like the same issue continues even with Peter. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look at verse 6 and 7. Peter said, Humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may what? Lift you up in due time. Look again in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Then he says this, do what with your anxiety? Cast on who? Him, because he what for you? Cast how much of your anxiety? All your anxiety on who? Him, because he what for you? I would translate this verse this way. When, when we're doing it right, I am choosing to cast off anxiety instead of carrying it. Let me try to explain to you. All of us, like I said, will wake up one day, we'll walk through a week, and maybe it's a season of time. It could be a semester in college. It could be the the carpet gets pulled out from underneath you, the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, and you weren't expecting it. And so you find yourselves with this thing that overwhelms you. And by the way, it can overwhelm you. It has you weighed down. The point is this, that there will be times you're overwhelmed, but it is possible to live in those times without sinning and worrying and having anxiousness. So picture with that thing. Maybe you're carrying it right now. It's like this extra baggage. It's like, man, this thing is hard on me. This is wearing me out. Peter says this. When that concern, when that issue, when that, 
when that pending graduation, when that uncertain report from the doctor, when, when that financial debt, when that relationship issue comes your way, and it will, it will happen, cast it off to him instead of carrying it yourself because he cares for you. So here's what you do. The picture is this. All of us will have these things in our lives that, that cause concern, can cause concern. The Word of God says, whatever it is, and you know what it is. I mean, some of you have walked in here today and you're feeling the the burden and the weight of carrying it. Peter says to cast it off instead of carrying it. He says to cast it off. You know, cast to me is like chucking that baby. I'm not going to throw it, but I'd like to. Cast it off off. And when you cast it off and let him carry it, that weight is lifted. And you're saying, God, I've done everything I can do. Now I'm leaving it up to you. But here's what we do. Like, we're good at doing that like for like three days or four days. And and when the answer doesn't come in like three or four days or three or four weeks or six or seven weeks or it's like we want to go back and grab it again say God how come you're not doing anything you told me just get rid of it cast it off and here's what we do instead of just keeping it in his hands we we decide that after a period of time that somehow we can do a better job. So we'll cast it off. Like, yeah, I'll cast it off, God. But we cast it off with a string kind of attached to it. I'm just waiting and seeing. I'm going to give you like three weeks, God. Because if you can't do anything in three weeks, then I'm going to bring it back. And so we have this season of time. It's like three weeks. We're trusting. You know, we don't have any worry or anxiousness. And this is a picture of our lives. And yet... We really, really haven't truly given it over to God. And then there's that moment, it's like someone says something. It's like, hey, what do you do when you're graduating? Hey, 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 what about your job? Hey, I heard that you're out of a, a job. And we're like, oh, that's right. I'm bringing it back. And we just want to bring it right back. And for some reason, and you know why that reason is, we believe that we can do a better job than God does. And so we spend the majority of our lives casting off for a little bit and then like wanting to bring it up and getting all tangled by this thing. And Jesus says, get rid of it, cast it off, cut the strings and let me take care of it. Then Jesus says this back in Luke chapter 12. Look again, Luke chapter 12. So he says, consider the ravens, consider the food. And then he says this in verse 27. Consider how the wildflowers grow. Or the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you of, of little faith? Jesus says this. Imagine this. They're, they're having this conversation and they're writing down like, okay, I'm going to start watching ravens. All right, everyone, everyone watch a raven. Now he says, consider the, the, the wildflowers. Now, in all seriousness, for those of you who have parents that, are, you know, that you're home with, if you saw your mom or dad sitting out in the, the perennial garden and they're just looking at like a petunia, 
And they're just standing there looking at a lily. I mean, and they're like, and say, what are you doing, mom? Oh, I'm just considering. You would either say, pray for mom, or um, you'd be dialing a number. Jesus said, consider the wildflower. I mean, when's the last time you just sat in your flower garden, just kind of, <laughs> boy, you're lucky. You don't do anything. I pull your weeds. I, I water you. You're beautiful. You're dressed. You make my garden look nice. I, boy, you got it made. You know that wildflower? <laughs> if you're stressed out, that's what you do. Jesus said, consider how that gets fed and how beautiful it is. I love you more than the lily of the field. He once again reminds them of how helpless they are without him. Somewhere along the way, though, we've forgotten this very basic principle that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And somewhere along the road, we believe that he can't fight for us better than we can fight for ourselves. And somewhere along the road, we've forgotten Philippians 4.19. It says, my God will supply or meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You see, here's the problem, Grace Community. Unbelief is the root of anxiety. When I'm anxious, I'm saying this. Jesus, I don't believe you. I believe this is too much. This is something that you've never faced. And so I'm going to take it back. And I'm going to carry it, Jesus. I like carrying it. I like feeling miserable. I like taking 10 years off of my life. I like the wrinkles on my face. I like the eating disorder that I have. I like just chewing people out and telling them words that I shouldn't say. I like that, Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What has God ever done that causes you not to trust him? So Jesus is like, okay, ravens, wildflowers, food, clothes. Like, wow, this is getting good. I'm starting to get it. And then he says this. Look at verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Then he says this in verse 33. Sell your what? And give to the what? Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So picture these. I mean, they're carrying the weight. Like, okay, you're carrying weight. You say, all right, Pastor Jim, what do I need to do? All right, I need to consider the buzzard that was in Pastor Jim's field. I, you know, he shot it and like you know, uh, and fed him. And, and now I, I got to consider like the mums. They're like kind of fresh now. I can consider there's some really pretty mums in my ear. I'm going to go out this afternoon. I'm going to sit in front of the mums and say, mums, you got it made. And now Jesus says this, sell your possessions. All right, here we go. Mega church pastor wanting your money. There it is. No, Jesus says to sell your possessions and give to the poor. Why? Because your life follows your money. So much of stuff is connected to our finances, to our money, to our anxiousness. When you realize it's not yours and it's God's, there's great freedom. And we recognize that God will never run out because God so loved the world and gave his son and set the model in place. He gave his very best. So here's what Jesus is saying. This thing, this concern, these concerns... He says, this thing that seems so valuable, this, this financial concern that you have or this money, he says, 
Let it loose. Let go of it because it's causing so much anxiety. That's all you think about. In fact, just give it away. Give it to the poor. What? What's he saying here? Here's what he's saying. There is freedom of letting go instead of holding on to something that isn't ours in the first place. Generosity destroys anxiety. That's what Jesus is saying. There's prescription, church. You show me a generous person, I will show you a person who is anxious free. Because they know that all that they have isn't theirs in the first place. And all they're doing is managing God's stuff. And they're free to give it away because the giver of the gifts has so much more to give back to them. There's freedom in that. When we give, God isn't taking our stuff. He's taking our stress and our anxiety. And so what, here's what happens. Jesus says, Instead of holding on to that thing, he says, I gave it to you in the first place. Instead of holding on to that thing that drags you down, he says, just give it away. Cut it off. And let God replace what you've given away. Anxiety breaks the body down. In fact, it takes years off your life causes you to be irritable and angry, causes you to be sick and anemic and short and impatient. Boy, I want some of that. Don't you want some of that? No. When we worry and get anxious, we need to pull away and remind ourselves of the promises of his word is what Jesus is saying. And when we do, we begin to live our lives in our hands wide open instead of closed shut. You show me a stingy person. You know, here's something true. Husbands will often say this. You know, I'm willing to die for my wife. Let me ask you, are you willing to live for her? Well, I'm saving up until we get 90 years old or 70 years old. Then we'll really live. Listen to me. Live. Live now. And when you hold too tightly to your clothes and your food and your possessions, money follows that. And you know what happens when you think it's yours? Anxiety comes out from that because you are trying to control it instead of living freely and knowing that it's not yours in the first place. So what do you do when you're anxious? You go back and remind yourself of who God is. Look at this passage. Look, look what Jesus reminded them. Verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you everything. Now think about that for a second, what that means. By the way, isn't it interesting he calls us a little flock? I mean, you don't sound very dangerous, do you? It's like, like how, you ever had a, a, a sheep? It's like a cotton ball coming after you on four legs. Here comes a sheep, run. <laughs> he sees how defenseless we are. He sees how help, he even describes us as a little flock. I mean, I wish he was like, uh, like, oh, you tiger, oh, you bear, oh, you lion. No, he calls us the little flock. Because he's showing us that we need help. And then he says this, though. He says, little flock, for your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. All through scripture, how many times can you think in your mind, when there's something going on, like do not be afraid. How many times when you hear the phrase, do not fear, do not be dismayed, 
do not fear. How many times immediately attached that is, but remember God, but remember how great he is, but remember God. Even here, he's saying, hey, do not fear, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord and work for his kingdom. He'll provide for you. And so when fear comes over us, our first inclination should be, even though I see this, this is what I know to be true. Let me, let me describe it this way. We should look at Jesus and not of our difficulties. Let, let, let me show you what I mean. This is a practice that I've tried to implement regularly in my life. We should look at Jesus and not our difficulties. So we should always pray with our eyes on God and not on our difficulties. So when I pray and you pray, we're not to look at the thing We're supposed to have our eyes on Jesus when we're praying and pray and put this on the other side. I often say it this way. There'll be times I've had this conversation with Jesus thousands of times. I'll say something like this. You see, I'll look at my concern or this thing that's in my life or this thing that wants to create anxiousness. And instead of, I'll put Jesus between that thing and me. So I put Jesus. So when I'm praying, I see Jesus and I don't see the difficulty. I put Jesus between my problem and him. Instead of having the difficulty between me and Jesus. So instead of this being my problem, when I put it on the other side of Jesus, I say, Jesus, you got a big problem. It's no longer mine. It's yours. And when I do that, I shift it out. I cast it to him and say, fat chance with that one, God. But he is good at taking care of our problems. But for some reason, we, we, like, we like this. We like, and we also like to just tell everybody about it. Don't you just love when someone tells you how horrible things are? Oh, tell me some more, would you? It's like, let me tell you about my life. You know, this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened. Let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya. Praise God. No one wants to hear your problems. You know who wants to hear them? The God who can do something about them. So when you pray, put God between you and the problem. Why? Because he promises to do things like this. And so this is what I do. When I'm anxious about some risky new venture or meeting, I battle unbelief with the promise, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed because I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you my victori- with my victorious right hand, Isaiah 41.10. And so instead of looking to the problem, I look to the promise maker. When I'm anxious or want to be anxious about my ministry being useless and empty, I fight unbelief with the promise that my word will go forth from my mouth and it will not come back void or empty, but will accomplish that which I purpose and prosper and the things it was sent to do, Isaiah 55, 11. The word of God will never return void. And so I go to the promise instead of the anxiousness that wants to overtake me. When I'm anxious about being too weak to do my work, I battle unbelief with the promise. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfect in my weakness. When I'm anxious about decisions I have to make about the future, I battle unbelief with the promise. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you, Psalms 32, 8. When I'm anxious about facing opponents, I battle unbelief with the promise. If God is for us, then who in the world can be stinking against us? Paraphrase. 
When I'm anxious about being sick, I battle unbelief with the promise that this trial works patience and patience works hope and hope does not disappoint me. When I'm anxious about getting old, I battle the unbelief with the promise. Even to my old age, I will praise him. Even to my gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you. I have bared you. I will carry you and save you. When I'm anxious about dying, I battle the unbelief with the promise. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and the living. When I'm anxious about my children, that there might be a day that they fall away from God, I battle unbelief with this promise. He who began a good work in them will finish it and complete it. I battle with the promises. You see, when you do that, you strip yourself of anxiousness. And here's what it does. It just says, Jesus, I trust you. I am your child. You died on the cross for me. What right do I have? And when have you ever shown me a time to not trust you? Here's how that plays out. Jesus said, take those things, whatever it is, that thing, that weight that wants to overwhelm you, that uncertain future. And Philippians 4, 6, look what he says. Turn to Philippians 4, 6. This is how it's all wrapped up. I want you to walk away with this truth because you could find great freedom. Philippians 4, 6. Jesus said through Paul and Philippians, he said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which what? Transcends all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. By the way, guess what the word transcends means? It means to clobber. It means to destroy. It means to trounce. Jesus said this, if you give it over through prayer and petition, if you have an attitude of gratitude and you're regularly praising for all the things that he's done, he promises to trounce, to clobber, to destroy anything that wants to come against you that caused you to worry. Church, that's great news. Here's what that means to me. That thing that you have, Jesus is just waiting. He says, give it to me. Because I want to clobber it so that I can remove it. Why do we hold on to this junk? I mean, do you really enjoy like anxiousness and worry? Is that like, and by the way, don't dare pat someone on the back and they say, hey, I'm worrying, me too. Let's hug. No, tell them, speak truth. That's sin. Lord, help us right now. In this room are human beings like myself who battle and battle and battle and the enemy continues to whisper and whisper and whisper and it's time for victory. God, there are times we're overwhelmed, but it is possible to have peace that transcends all understanding, that clobbers, that trounces all understanding. In the midst of great distress, we can have peace. 
Please, God, move in our midst.